0: On and off the field, women in sports are inspiring and motivating others to be the best versions of themselves. Rewriting the rules and changing the game, this is the On Her Turf Podcast, hosted by Katherine Tappan.
1: Welcome to the On Her Turf Podcast. I'm Katherine Tappan. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, we are chatting with golf legend and someone that I grew up watching and admiring, regarded as one of the best female golfers in history. In my opinion, she is the greatest of all time. Before stepping away from competitive golf at the end of the 2008 season, Annika Sorenstam had won 90 international tournaments as a pro. She has won 72 LPGA tournaments, including 10 majors and 18 other tournaments internationally. An eight-time LPGA Player of the Year during her 16-year pro career. Thank you so much for joining us, Annika. It's great to have you on. Thank you very much. It's great to be on. I appreciate it. Well, I want to know, because I follow you on Instagram, and I want to start off first and foremost with the renovations to your house. How are they coming along? You've been posting a lot of pictures of them, but it seemed
0: to have slowed down a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, early on, everything is kind of getting demoed. It goes quickly, and then it slows down. But, well, like everybody who has renovated a home, they know it's an interesting process, and it's uh, maybe not as always as smooth as you want. But we feel pretty good about it so far. It's a long road. But, uh, yeah, one of those things you got to do in life.
1: Anika, you stepped away from the game 10 years ago at the age of 37, which is so hard to believe because I just feel like after so many years of watching you, I just can't believe it's been 10 years since we last saw you play professionally, but you were still in the prime of your career when you walked away from the game. What was behind that decision at the time?
0: You know, I felt like I had achieved everything I wanted to achieve. I've been a professional for 17 years and, uh, you know, when I joined the tour, I didn't know if I could, you know, win a single golf tournament and then, um, you know, fast forward, I've achieved a lot more than I ever thought I could. And it was just, you know, I was happy. I was fulfilled. I felt like I had done everything I could. And and I started to look at some other things that, uh, you know, I had interest in, whether, you know, I was getting married, I wanted to start a family, I had a foundation, and I just want to spend more time on other things. And playing was really not a priority anymore.
1: So tell me about how, I want to get into the foundation in a minute, but tell me about just how life has changed since then, your schedule, your priorities, what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, the pressure of playing pro for 17 years and how now that's no longer, uh, how has
0: your life changed since that time? Yeah, no, I mean, it's of course it has changed. I mean, I like to say it's changed towards the better, even though I loved what I was doing, you know, I'm just in a different, you know, time of my life when it's, not so much about pushing myself to be the best golfer you know I love being a mom and I love being a wife and just kind of do things that I didn't do when I was younger I mean I'm spending a lot of time kind of in the community with our kids and school and activities you know I love to cook I love to be home I like to do some gardening Mm -hmm. and the things that people maybe think they take for granted, but when you travel for 25 years, it's like, wow, I, you know, you'd love to have like a normal life where you, you know, your neighbors, you know, the name on the streets and can, you know, can participate in birthday parties, etc. So, but I, you know, I still travel quite a bit. I still, you know, have eight corporate sponsors and the foundation. We still, you know, we um, inspire a lot of young girls throughout the year. And, and this is our actually we have 10 years of foundation. So we're entering the next, face the next 10 years where we really want to make a big difference. You know, we have lots of different countries represented in the initiatives and the tournaments we do We now have seven tournaments around the world. So you can imagine it does keep me a little busy.
1: Yeah, for sure, and it sounds like a, a lovely life that you have now. And and I've seen your children, and I've seen your family together, and it's it's really it's wonderful to see, and it's wonderful to see you so happy as well after so many years playing at a at a competitive level. Um, the Annika Foundation, you designed a golf course in China, and you host the Annika Invitational there. What makes golf such a draw in Asia, especially in the women's game?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, you know, we've really been seeing the Asian influence since really you know, the end of nineteen ninety or early two thousand when Seri Pat came on the tour and winning two majors in one year and you know, they really they really love the the game over there. I mean they spend a lot of time and money on different courses and facilities to get young kids to play. You know, they study the game and they have an ama- amazing uh work ethic, these young players that come to the tour you know, they're very technically sound, you know, they're mentally strong. And I would say all those things that you need in the game of golf. And, and of course, having role models like Seri Park and Italy Park, it just makes a difference. So, you know, they are a big part of the LPGA. And I think they push everybody forward. But, you know, it's amazing when you travel overseas, I would say it started way before the 90s in Japan. I mean, golf has been a big part of of, um, of that area. And as we know, the Olympics will be in 2020. So, you know, golf is really a global global game, and we see it when we had the Olympics in uh, in uh, Brazil not not too long ago, and we have one of our tournaments in Argentina actually, and we're seeing a big boost in young girls participation it's it's a sport that you can play all your life and it's nice to see that it's getting you know traction around the world yeah i think that's what's so great about the
1: game of golf i started at a very young age and i'm certainly not an expert by any means if anybody's at the american century championship and watches me play but i the, the best part about golf that i loved with all the other sports that i played was that it was four hours out on the course or five hours with my parents, with my sister and there's no cell phones and you are just out in nature playing a great game and enjoying each other's company. What are some of the values that you try to teach? These young women, young girls that you're giving lessons to, and even uh, young boys that are out there. What do you try and teach them about? Whether or not you're good at this game, what other values does it bring to you as a competitor?
0: Well, I think you brought up a good point. It's a great family sport, Um, but you know the things that we do in the foundation, it's more. You know, our tagline is more than golf, so you know I talk a little bit about all the aspects that's necessarily to be successful in your life. You know, to start with golf, you know we talk a little bit about nutrition and fitness and mental training and so forth that, you know, it's all about, you know, following your dreams, you know, building a solid foundation. I mean, a lot of these girls would not be professionals and they probably don't want to be golf professionals, you know, but they're using the game of golf to meet friends, to travel around the world and getting great experience. So we talk about, you know, learning from your mistakes, learning how to set goals and move forward and improve as a person. And, and golf really has, I think, you know, very similar characteristics to the things you need in life as far as, you know, working hard and patience and motivation, integrity and confidence. And, you know, I think sports in general is good for young girls to participate in. It does help them with confidence. It helps them, you know, develop as young women. And hopefully these young women will be, you know, C-suites down the road or executives in big companies. I mean, it is the next generation. So, It's all about more, you know, growing as a person and learning and and using golf as a tool, meeting people and, you know, the way they interact with their sponsors and learning how to, you know, say thank you and please and and sending thank you notes and interacting. And this type of um, atmosphere, I think, is really, really healthy. I mean, to be able to perform walking down the fairways and putting the score together and then you take it into the classroom. I mean, they're used to pressure. They're used to performing and those are good qualities to have. I love that. And I love
1: what you said about the thank you notes. That is one of the top things I tell people when they ask, you know, how to network and how to be better and how do I get contacts in the industry? And I say, whoever you meet at any point in time, always write a thank you note because I do believe that that is a lost art that so many people have left to the wayside with the advancement of technology and everything. But, you know, you bring up the confidence aspect. And I think you are such a great example to talk about this because you had And, you know, still in a way, still do, but you did have that trademark shy personality in the days, especially early on when you were playing and getting into the competitive side of professional golf. And I recently read in a Vanity Fair article you did that earlier in your career, you would actually avoid winning tournaments to avoid the victory speech. Is that true?
0: Uh, Very much so. Yes. I mean, I, I, I am not really a fond of a microphone. I'm not really you know, comfortable standing in front of people and so forth. And you might think that, well, how, how is that possible with a career you've had? Well, you know, it's too early on and also the same thing in school. I was afraid to raise my hand in case, you know, I would answer the wrong question. And I thought all the other kids would laugh at me. So it's better to sit in the back and be quiet. But, um, you know, eventually I realized, and, you know, together with my parents and, you know they kind of helped me go through it it's you know if you want to achieve things in life there's some things you got to face you know i had to face my fear of being in the limelight or just and i'm not talking you know major lim- <laughs> limelight i'm just talking about you know playing at the home course where you know you say something in front of your members of the club or your contemporaries so just able to get over that kind of hurdle of of um you know the fear that i have and you know making fun of myself or Something like that. So, you know, my dad said, why don't you just bring your 7-iron up there on stage and pretend it's a microphone and <laughs> and say that, you know, say that, you know, normally, you know, I like my golf clubs to do the talking. And, and, you know, I was terrified. And then I realized that, you know, I somehow managed to, you know, get over that. And then, of course, you know, when you win the U.S. Open as as a sophomore, so to speak, on tour, I mean, it, I was really, really nervous. And But I have a strong will of of. You now I'm a competitor, you know, I want to win. And, you know, it's frustrating when you miss on purpose, knowing that you could have won, but you kind of like to take that route because you're nervous. So, you know, I learned throughout my, my career that I got to face some of my fears and, and I've learned that, wow, in the end, it's really not that bad. And I always encourage some of the girls that we work with, you know, step up to a challenge. You'd be amazed how How strong you are and how, you know, how knowledgeable you are in the end, just, you know, obviously being prepared. And it's like anything, you can do it. Have the courage because a lot of times we say no to things because we're scared of it. And then we most likely regret it or we will never know what it would have been like if we would have said yes. So, you know, I'm not shying away from uncomfortable situations. I feel like those are moments where I can grow as a person and hopefully those situations will make me you know, stronger next time around.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes as well, um, either parents or the influence of others can teach kids to change or to try and be different than they are. How did you embrace your shyness and use it to your benefit? And ultimately, uh, the, the tools maybe that you used to get over that initial fear of getting up to the podium or wherever you were trying to deal with the media attention that you were surrounded by?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's something that takes time, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. And in my particular case is, you know, my parents called the tournament director for a tournament I played in. And because normally, you know, if you win, you give a winning speech, but they decided that everybody should say something. So you can imagine, you know, I'm kind of messing up on the last few holes and finishing second and thinking, you know, I get a prize, but I don't have to say anything. And all of a sudden, they're like, well, we want everybody to say something. So it's like, Oh, hang on a minute, (laughs) you know. Um, And so, you know, I was put in a situation where I had to do it, you know, on a very low level. I mean, this is, you know, country club, you know, level where I probably knew 99% of the people. So I was just forced to say something, and then I realized that that didn't hurt so much. And then having the desire of really wanting to play better and, you know, winning, I enjoyed winning. I mean, my goal was... (laughs) To win and run away with a trophy without having to say anything, but obviously that's not going to work. You <laughs> no. have to kind of do some media and so forth. So I think it just—it was just—it uh, was more important to me. So I had to overcome that. And but you do it slowly, piece by piece. Do it in a, in a, in a comfortable environment, and and uh, you know learn from your mistakes. And again, that's some of the things that we teach these young girls. Is you know you, you're not going to be great at everything early on. I mean, it takes time and. And so my goal was, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to handle this. You know, I'm going to be able to stand in front and have a microphone. And, and, you know, I would have some basic um, talking points that I would always have that would make me feel comfortable, you know, and then you just kind of sprinkle in the sponsor or sprinkle in the name of the golf course, but you would have a basic script. And that in the end just made me feel comfortable. I knew what I had to say. And um, so I think it's just overcoming it and, and realizing that it's really not that bad is spending time on, on your weaknesses. I think a lot of times we spend time on the things we're good at and we kind of avoid the things we're not so good at because it's either, well, it's, it's time consuming or it's scary or it just, you always think it's going to go away, but unfortunately it doesn't go away. You might as well just face it head on and and then you'd be surprised how we handle controversy or how we handle challenges that we're like, you know, you thought earlier would be a tough thing. All of a sudden you may be, wow, I feel a little more comfortable and, and now I'm in charge of the situation and it's better that way.
1: It's great advice and, um, I mean, remarkable words of wisdom there. And and I know one day in particular where you had a heck of a lot of media attention, and I'm sure you know exactly where I'm going with this one. In 2001, you shot a 59, which is still the women's record it was at the time and it remains a woman's record I can't even wrap my head around shooting a 59 on 18 holes <laughs> nine holes sometimes for me but uh what I find most interesting about the day that you shot that was that it was an unusual and uncharacteristic start to your round your caddy Terry McNamara at the time said you were a little bit later than usual when you arrive at the course you were very jacked up he could sense that take me through that morning and what it was like for you in the fact that it was maybe a bit different that day, ultimately propelled you to this record, but what was that day like for you?
0: Well, you're right about, you know, kind of just the way the day started. You know, I've always had a vision in my mind to be able to birdie every hole. And uh, I think it's important to have a positive vision. It's important to have, you know, something that you really believe in. And I believe that you can birdie every hole. So, you know, yeah, I hadn't done it in, um, done it before, but I felt like every hole is, I would say birdable, which I know is not a word, but, you know, you can birdie <laughs> every hole, and it's just a matter of doing it in the same round. So, you know, it was a challenge to me, but something I said, you know what, I can do it. So, you know, I just got off to a really good start. I birdied the first six holes, which you know, I um, I had done before, uh, not necessarily one through six, but in the middle of a round. So, I you know, I started them 600 after six, and then, then I birdied two more, and and I was just trying to just stay focused on the now shot, meaning the shot that I'm going to hit now and not what I had done half an hour earlier or what I'm going to do an hour later. I was just focusing on this particular moment. And I mean, of course, you, you know, you need some luck. You need everything to kind of go your way. And I felt, you know, I hit the ball well. I hit um, 18 greens. So I, I had 18 opportunities. But it doesn't always mean that you make them all, but I made, you know, 13 of them and it was just one of those days I tell people I was in the zone. I mean I didn't really think about consequences of second shot, consequences of you know, like a pot that I have to be more aggressive or, or more tentative. It was just more, okay, let's look at this pot. Okay, it breaks right to left, trust yourself and hit it and, and it went in from a lot of different places. It was a few short birdie pots and a few longer ones and, and of course I will never forget that round and you know, it felt so easy, you know, everything was just kinda of coming together and but in the end I, I you know I really had to keep my mind focused on my task cuz it's you know I felt like my mind was moving you know it was um it was thinking about I mean a lot of different things like I said things that's going to happen maybe later or, or things that you know you can't control and that's one of the things that works really hard on golf is to focus on the things I can control and you can't control you know your score for example you can't control aftermath of a tournament or anything like that or, or, or the player scores or bounces etc I was just putting my energy literally on the things I can control which was my mind and, and club selection and, and the swing and so forth and it worked out so obviously <laughs> One of the highlights of my career and something I'll never forget. Of course, something
1: no, none of us will ever forget. When when you have a round like that, though, and I'm curious because I go hole to hole. I have a great hole and then the next hole is terrible. And I'm like, oh, this game is so frustrating. I'm sure a lot of amateur golfers like myself feel that way. But you had a round of 59, an incredible performance. What were the next couple of rounds like for you on the course? Was it frustrating at times if you couldn't get? the birdies on every hole that you had just had. I know you said a lot of luck factored into that, but what were the next couple of days like for you when you played?
0: Well, that's the thing is it a lot of people say it's, uh, it's tough to follow up uh, from a good round, whether it's 59 or 63 or 62. Um, but you just got to, again, new day, new opportunities, you know, new conditions, you know, everything is just very different. Same golf course, but whole locations are different. You just got to, Take the positive, meaning, you know, it felt good. I had good momentum. It felt easy. But you're hitting the shots. It's irrelevant from yesterday. So it's always hard to follow up a really good round. But you have to, again, stay in the moment, stay and just kind of hit one shot at a time. And lots of little drills and exercises to kind of keep your mind focused on that. And for me, a lot of times it was, you know, I wouldn't write down the score right away uh, because then I get reminded what I had, you know, I'd wait a few holes and then write down the score for the last three holes or you know i really try to move on i've i've learned how to put the past behind me so to speak and it's just focusing on what's happening now here and now so and that's again golf is a mental game you have to kind of figure out little games for yourself to to do
1: well Uh, That it is indeed. I need to get myself mentally better as well at the game. You are listening to the (laughs) On Her Turf podcast with Catherine Tappen. We are chatting with golf legend Annika Sorenstam. And Annika, so much is made and written about male athletes when they retire. Many go through a very challenging time. uh, Identity loss, midlife crisis type of situation. uh, Very, very challenging on the families as well. Your husband, Mike, actually, Mike McGee, he wrote his college thesis on this very topic. But I feel like hardly you ever hear of the tough times that a female athlete goes when she retires. It's just assumed she's going to go right into motherhood or she's going to go into her foundation work or all these other ventures that she has. What was it like for you? And why do you think we don't hear as often about the challenges that a woman faces when she retires?
0: Well, it's a good question. I really don't know the answer. I mean, it's probably the same reason why we talk more about men's sports in general when they're on the course or on the field or on the court or whatever you call it. You know it's just um, I think for anybody, I mean, yeah, I'm a female athlete, and but you know you're also just an individual, you know your a person, and I think the keys to you know if you're lucky in my case, I stepped away on my own terms, you know i some athletes are forced to retire, and that's gonna be hard when you probably feel like you had more to give or you just you know you were not ready to to go yet, so to speak and you wanted more experience. I mean, I left, I mean, I decided to leave. So, you know, in my case, I felt like I was ready. You know, again, I I wasn't, I didn't want to put in the time anymore and, and winning another tournament wasn't going to change my life. And, you know, when you lose the desire, when you lose the motivation, you know, for me it was easier. I mean, I had other interests to replace. My mind has always kept busy, you know, and having an interest in other things, I think that is the key. And when you're an athlete, a lot of, a lot of athletes don't have hobbies. There's no balance in life. I think the word balance is really important. And, I mean, I have balance. You know, I have, um, you know, I, I was I getting married. I have interest off the golf course. I love being at home and cook. And so, again, having my mind being occupied on other things I enjoy, I think that's really important. And if you step away at a time when you still have your mind on the field or you're just missing your teammates and and, and there's nothing else, I can see how hard that would be. Because your life has probably been surrounded by sports your whole life, and a lot of times, if it's an individual sport, it's all about you. You know, it's you, the athlete, and a lot of attention is it's, it's on you. And when you step away, it's, some people miss that, and and maybe that was one of the things that I not you know didn't miss that much because I never really seeked it. You know, I never really I didn't play golf to be in the limelight. You know, I didn't play golf mm-hmm. to be seen and be heard. Um, on the contrary, I played golf because i I loved the game and I was you know extremely competitive and loved to be outside and and try to master this difficult game. That was my task and I think that all those things together help to to move on so but I can understand and and see the difficulty from some others that don't have maybe the peace. Uh, and the balance up you know outside their sport, you talk about having that
1: balance with family and work, and you are still working on many levels with your sponsorships, your foundation, the Annika foundation, your speaking engagements. What have you learned about where your limits lie within each day and what you can handle in the span of the twenty four hours?
0: Yeah, that's something you you learn i mean i I feel like you know sometimes I try to do you know everything and um I was told early on I could do anything, but I can't do everything. And sometimes I feel like there's just not enough time in the day. So, <laughs> obviously, having a great partner with with my husband, uh, we we uh, tag team it very well with with the kids and the house and whatever it's done. So, but yeah, it takes planning, it takes time management, it takes sacrifices, and and just kind of you know also sharing goals and vision together. So we're on the same path and so I'm not going off this way and he's going off that way <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean you need to have that but I think you also need to have respect for each other I think you need to have uh, the time you know separate time for each other but then also having the individual free time you know you, you're still a person and I think you function best if you can be you and you feel comfortable being you so again it's you know it's we haven't perfected it by anything, by any means, but, you know, we learn along on, along the way and also having kids. I mean, kids grow in different needs, and so it's never set in stone. You always adjust. And you're trying to kind of go with the flow a little bit and improvise, but, you know, that's the thing is I'm I'm a lot more strict, organized, and disciplined. He's kind of the fun, free, loving, so I think we complement each other very well and <laughs> need to relax at times, and he needs to be a little structured at times, so... And I respect that about him, love him, you know for that reason, so it works out, but you know by the end of the day, I think anybody's you know what's your purpose in life and what's important to you, and you have to find that balance and you know it's just everybody's very different. I tell people it's it's recipe for success is it depends on all who you are and what you want. Well, I love that you
1: give us a window into your free time a little bit by posting on your social media platforms, on your Instagram and your Twitter. And you really have embraced this whole new world of social media, which I know was not as wildly popular as it is now when you were playing. Um, but, you know, we see your kids, we see your home renovations, we see the golf excursions you go on, the tubing, um, the the fun you guys have out in Lake Tahoe. Um, and it's really it's really wonderful to get a window into your life. What has allowed you to embrace, you know, for being such a private person, what has allowed you to embrace this platform of social media? And and what do you think it would have been like when you were playing if you had this?
0: Well, you're right. I mean, I certainly didn't have it. And, you know, things have changed the last, you know, five years for sure. And um, I, I think, you know, that's, that's where Mike has kind of come into my life with a really positive guidance and, you know, just being comfortable with who I am and what I do and be able to share it. And, you know, it wasn't like I was behind the door or anything. It was just more, I didn't think people cared. Uh, now it's different. You know, people want to know. And I, I mean, I follow other athletes. I follow other people. I follow, you know, it's fun to see what other people do. And and especially people you know and get engaged in their lives and, and learn also. So I think it's a wonderful tool to share that. And whether it's the sponsors or whether it's the family, it's a nice balance of of who we are and what we do and we're just a normal family. It's not like we're different other than that I play the game of golf. I mean, we you know, we take kids to school and so forth and sports activities and have weekends like everybody else. But it's fun to share that. And also I think that, you know, it's about my partners able to share what they do and what I stand for, who I'm associated with. So it's really a good balance of finding that. And again, I'm just a 18 handicapper when it comes to social media. I don't know all the <laughs> tools and everything, but I do enjoy following other people and I do tweets and I Instagram all on my own and Facebook. So yeah, it's been a fun learning curve for sure.
1: I'm probably with you in that category of 18 handicapper for the uh, social media. <laughs> I do enjoy it, but there are so many other avenues you can go with it. And I just keep it pretty simple when it comes to posts and everything. Uh, one one thing you've said a number of times throughout this conversation is you're comfortable with who you are. And there's no denying you have that comfort and that confidence uh, that propelled you to a incredible career. I want to go back to when you accepted that sponsor's invitation to play in the PGA Tour event, the Bank of America Colonial, back in May 2003. And, I mean, my gosh, talk about confidence. You have to have confidence to accept an invitation like that, becoming the first woman since 1945 to compete in a PGA Tour event. Were you nervous at all accepting that? I was very nervous,
0: absolutely. I was, you know, I had a lot of questions in my mind, and, you know, am I doing the right thing? And, uh, it's, you know, hadn't been done in you know, 58 years at that time. And, you know, I was, but there was two sides of me. One side is, you know, which I mentioned earlier, but about not being afraid, facing the fear. If you want to improve, you have to step out of your comfort zone and, and learn. And, you know, at that time, I was at the number one for a few years. And I, every day I was, you know, literally trying to figure out how do I get better? What do I need to push? You know, what do I need to do to push myself? Because in my mind... I just felt like I hadn't reached my full potential. I mean, I felt like there's, oh, I have a lot more in me, you know? So how do I how do I find that? How do I push it? And so when this opportunity came around, you know, it's almost like, wow, this, you're right. This is what I need for me to push myself to get to the next level. So, you know, I had confidence in my game, you know, I had confidence in my ability. But as far as, you know, having confidence in the situation and, what to expect and how I would react and that was very unknown and, um, you know, I just made the decision that I, you know, I want to learn, I want to see if I can handle this pressure, I want to see if I can handle and can I take this challenge, can I, can I, can I do this? It wasn't a, you know... I knew I couldn't hit the ball 300 yards. I knew I couldn't just change my game. But I figured if I can get more mentally strong, if I can just kind of learn this, I figured I will be better long term, whatever the outcome would be. So, you know, I accepted the challenge. And this was in January. And, and in May, I decided that that was the tournament I was going to play in. And I was extremely nervous. I mean, I could hardly breathe. I was trying to go back to all the basics. how you learn how to breathe. And <sighs> Focus on what you got to do and not so much about the results. And like I always say, focus on the process, my routines. You know, my competitors are different. The course is a little longer, but just kind of trust myself. So, yeah, it was an interesting time. I mean, I'm so glad I did it. This is probably one of the highlights of my career. Not so much because of the results, but just because of the learning curve and the things I experienced in that journey towards that tournament, you know, the experiences I got. So, you know, I will never look back. It was just fantastic. I'm glad I did it. I felt stronger afterwards. I figured out if I can do this, anything will be easy from here on out. So learning how to breathe and kind of stick to your routine and trust yourself. And that's kind of what I did. And I thought the outcome will be whatever it will be. And I will just go from there. Well, it's an inspiration that you did
1: that to so many uh, women who it's hard to challenge yourself. And you really set the bar high there. You went out, you did it, but it didn't come without criticism. Vijay Singh, a veteran on tour at the time, criticized you and your decision to play in that. How did that make you feel?
0: Well, first it was, you know, when it was they knew that I was going to do this, you know, comments came out and I was, I wasn't hurt, but I was like, well, who's this person? Why, you know, why are they looking at it this way? And So I kind of, you know, paid a little bit of attention to it. And then I realized that, you know, this is obviously not making it better. This is not helping me. On the contrary, um, it's probably hurting. So just kind of focus on the positive, focus on the things I can control. You know, everybody will are entitled to their opinion. I was just excited to have the opportunity. So I wanted to make the most out of it. So all the naysayers and, and all of that kind of just kind of went by the wayside if you know what i mean i just mm-hmm. i just shrugged them off and focused on what i had to i felt like overall it was a very positive thing and and um you know you can look at things however you want to look at it i looked at it a way to just challenge myself and get better as a player and learn from the very best and i figured if i can take that knowledge to the lpga that was only enhance women's golf so i felt like the It was more positive than negative, and and then you just have to stick to that path. You know, I think when you go back and forth, it makes it very difficult. I was very determined. I was, you know, just kind of looking forward, and that's what I was going to do, and I didn't really think twice about it after
1: that. You've played with a lot of incredible golfers, celebrities, international icons, uh, you name it. Who is the most enjoyable or the most memorable person that you've had the opportunity to play golf with?
0: (laughs) You know, it's funny. You're right, though. I mean, you do. luckily, golf is a sport where— a lot of other retired athletes, they want to play, you know. So, you know, I've, I've been lucky to play with a few, and whether it's athletes or whether it's actors or whether it's, you know, politicians and whatever it may be. So it's hard to single anybody out. I mean, I'm a big Condoleezza um, Rice fan. Mm. You know, I've played with her a few times. I just, she's an impressive woman who just loved the game. I mean, she's accomplished musician as well and to listen to her stories I just I mean I like to play with people that I admire you know I've also played with really funny people you know Joe Pesci I play with uh, Bill Murray you know and you just there's not a quiet moment you know what I mean it's just constant noise and it's got to be distracting a little bit (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, laughing so much (laughs) yeah I mean from total different parts of life and what they do and I mean I would never forget Joe Pesci gave me the best advice he said just take every practice round like it is your last round you know really make the most out of it I'll never forget that you might think he's, you know might not take things seriously but I mean he said just spoke like that's what he does when he has what do you call it, rehearsals or something in the movies he pretends mm-hmm. it's the last time I think that's a big thing so uh, but then also I've been lucky to play with other athletes I mean baseball players and Steph Curry or you know they are amazing athletes you know you we, we see them on the court or on the field or whatever and then they step into the to golf and you're like wow these guys are good and so yeah i've been lucky to meet some really interesting people that's awesome i i love the humor factor
1: the larry the cable guy and i played together in round 2 at the american century championship this past summer and he was a riot, and he wanted to play with his boombox from hole number one, and I said, no problem. <laughs> the music relaxed me. I enjoyed it. I had fun during the round, and, uh, yeah, it was great. But Condoleezza Rice, what a what a dream twosome right there with the two of you guys. That's, that's awesome. Uh, Anika, I know we've already taken up so much of your time, but we have this rapid-fire fun section where we call it tap dancing. It's my favorite segment, uh, a couple off-the-cuff topics, so bear with me here. But what's one item besides your cell phone that you cannot leave home without?
0: Well, the wallet is obviously important, and my ID, uh, boring stuff. But, yeah, cell phone is certainly up there, which I never thought I would say, but it's kind of hooked by the hip. It is.
1: We feel like we're missing a body limb when we don't have our cell phone. Uh, and finally, your favorite way to center yourself, the best thing that brings you kind of back to you doing you at that moment.
0: Yeah, No. you know, I, I just enjoy uh, a cup of tea in the morning and just to kind of gather myself before the family gets up. A lot of times, I don't need a lot of time. I just need to recharge my battery for like 10 minutes. The same thing at, in the evening, we put the kids to bed. I just kind of lay there in bed and just kind of relax. That to me is my charging station, whether for the week or what's coming up, just gathering my thoughts. I just need that little peace time. I do put some slow music on, like at spa music or like just like a nice, um, uh, what do you call it, like acoustic, just to kind of gather myself. That's awesome. I'm
1: going to come to your house to relax. It sounds delightful. <laughs> the kids playing outside, the tea, the spa music. And your husband, Mike, is a Penguins fan, so we can watch hockey together. So <laughs>
0: well, there you go. It's
1: there Dr. you Ed. go. Oh, Anika, we so appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you so much. Um, so many insightful words of wisdom throughout this conversation, and then some of the stories you have to share. We really appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a good day. Thanks for having me. We were just talking to Annika Sorenstam. You can download the On Her Turf podcast on the Apple podcast. Let us know what you think. We want to hear from you. So be sure to chime in. You can also follow us on Instagram, On Her Turf. And I like to leave you with a quote that really speaks to me. And I think also based on Annika's conversation, uh, this is very relevant. I found it when I read The Greatest Salesman in the World, and it is failure will never overtake you if your determination to succeed is strong enough. I leave you with that. Have a great rest of your day. Be sure to join us next time for the On Her Turf podcast.